and welcome back to the long, hard road. We all have dreams, but what's the difference between a dream being a dream and a dream becoming a reality? Today, I'm joined by one of my near and dear great friends who shared with me once again the story of what it takes to make your childhood dreams come true. But before we dive into the story of making your dreams come true, Jay and I, and Jay, is, I'd like to welcome you to the long, hard road. Thanks, mate. It's good to be here. I'm so, I got goosebumps with you joining me here. <laughs> Jay and I are, are BFFs. We're best friends forever because we solidified our best friendship with one of the, the most important questions in life. And it's not, what do you stand for? Yes, that is important. But I was with Jay one weekend. I was hanging out with him in Hong Kong. And we woke up one morning. And I said, okay, Jay, here it is. The money's on, money's on the table. What is the best Led Zeppelin song of all time? Well, that's an easy one, right? Ramble on. As soon as he said that, I knew. <laughs> I could have the details wrong, though, but I believe smoke started from mortar started appearing. There might have been a wizard involved, and the gods of rock and roll came to pay us events. <laughs> and the planets aligned. And the planets aligned. <laughs> but since then, what, what we've done is, you know, we're busy guys, and we don't have a lot of time to put up with a lot of bullshit, is we've developed a sliding scale based on someone's affinity for Led Zeppelin. So... If you don't have a lot of time and you want to figure out if somebody's a douchebag or a wanker, <laughs> <laughs> then just cut right through all the bullshit and just ask them straight away, hey, mate, what's your favorite Zeppelin song? So, Jay, Ramble On is about a 10. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's up there. Immigrant song? At least an 8. An 8. And if they can hit the... <laughs> wow! That's an eight. Okay, <laughs> there it is. That's but an extra point. That's an extra point. But if somebody says to you, if if somebody says to you, what's your favorite Led Zeppelin song? And if they say, Stairway to Heaven. If they say Stairway to Heaven, they are going to get the biggest. What's the capital of Thailand? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Jay, it's great. That's a 1.5. <laughs> a generous 1.5. It's, it's great to have you here. And, and um you know, I, I love listening to your, your story because it inspires me and, and it, it gives me that sense of hope that, yes, there is something better. So take us back. What was your childhood dream growing up? Uh, mate, I always wanted to be a pilot, actually, was what I dreamt of being. Um, however, it wasn't really a possibility. I, I grew up in a, a very underprivileged background uh, and we obviously didn't have that sort of money. We're just going from paycheck to paycheck. And um, so it really wasn't really an option, shall we say. Um, and so I fell into my other passion, which was music. Music. And what was, the, what, was, what was that like as a passion, the music scene? Yeah, well, I was always playing as a child. Um, it wasn't like, you know, go and do your homework. It was like, get off the piano or get off the guitar and come and eat your dinner. You know, it was the other way around for me. I was just drawn to music and drawn to playing and I always was playing. Who were some of your favorite musicians when you were growing up? Who oh, did well, you idolize? I always loved Zeppelin actually as a young kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I did. And then some later on when I was studying jazz, some of the old, you know, um, traditional jazz favorites like uh, Count Basie and, you know, even oh, uh, yeah. Theolonius Monk and, yes, yes, you yes. know, obviously Miles Davis and John Coltrane and those types of people. But that came much later on. But Is I was always you, drawn to rock. Yeah, yeah that's where you get your smooth yeah, swagger. A little bit of the me. funk oh, thing, cool yeah. in the gang, uh, earth, wind and fire. <laughs> There know? we go, there we go. Yeah, I was a little bit too white for that, <laughs> but oh. I was very drawn to it. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it though. Great music. So you were growing up and it was, okay, I'm going to be a musician. 
Yeah, well, it wasn't actually a cognitive decision to do that. Mm -hmm. I was just uh, drawn to music. I was always playing. Um, And because the the pilot dream was, you know, not something, it was a real possibility, um, I was just uh, naturally like a river flowing down to its, you know, low point, um, flowing down the river of music. And that opportunity arose for me to... um, you know, follow that and which I did. And before I knew it, I was, you know, a professional musician. Amazing. Amazing. How long were you a musician for? Uh, look, I was involved in the music industry in a few different roles. Initially, I studied jazz at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music on piano. And I was a solo piano player for a while around the place. Um, then I moved on. I was a keyboard player in a uh, popular funk band in Sydney. Cool. Uh, which was fantastic. They were called Bedusi around the turn of the uh, century. Um, it was great at the time the Olympics were on in Sydney. It was a real happening place, and the, you know the funk scene was, uh, you know, really trending at that time. <clears throat> Later on, I went to university and did a business degree, and I ended up back involved in the music business as a marketing manager for a music company, selling musical instruments to the retail trade. And I had a team of sales reps and whatnot, and uh, used to go and, uh, you know take care of artists who'd come to Australia and run competitions and take the winners to the contests and run promotions and, you know, um, it was a sales and marketing role, but it was also uh, using my passion for music. And then later on, um, I got more involved with uh, playing again, uh, doing some gigs as a keyboard player. And I also had a little bit of a, a talent for guitar. I knuckled down and got my guitar playing to a professional level and then put together an acoustic duo with one of my best mates, uh, and we called it Synergy. It was two acoustic guitars, two voices, and we'd tailor it to the needs of the uh, of the client. Oh, so fantastic. Yeah, you know, fantastic. we'd wear suits and do the MC, oh. uh, corporate events and weddings and that sort of thing. It was really good, and it supplemented me and come to, um, through doing that, which was great fun. I'm sure it was a lot of fun, and I'm sure you got a few stories back from the day. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of them are good for this podcast. <laughs> oh, that, no, you'd be surprised what's good for this podcast and what isn't. But, you know, you, you were telling this story last night at the Barbie and it was just, I got goosebumps, man. And the hairs on my arms just shot right up. When you jumped into it, it was just like, okay, I want to be a pilot. Yeah. And, and do you remember the day when, when you finally decided it was like, I want to be a pilot? Yeah, I do. It was, uh, it was a very sort of subtle, or clear um, decision. I was sort of becoming a little bit stale with my role as a musician and also in the marketing role. Um, I'd been doing that for almost 20 years and I really couldn't see myself doing that for another 20 years and being happy. It's almost like you needed a challenge to get out of your comfort zone. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. right. And I felt that, you know, um, I'm a lot happier when I do have a challenge, when I am after a goal and I was, everything was just too samey and too easy and not challenging at all and not uh, rewarding. So I decided, okay, I'm going to make a change, a career change, um, and a change of direction. Um, and I, I looked at the options and I thought, well, why not? you know, follow my childhood dream of trying to become a pilot. So I started looking into it. Um, I'd made a little bit of money, uh, which I put aside, you know, for something like this uh, type of thing. And uh, by the time I, I uh, you know, had done the due, due diligence and, and looked into all the training options and, and also the employment options mm-hmm. at the end of it, um, <clears throat> I decided that I'd press the button and give it a go. How old were you at the time, Jay? I was approaching 40. F- yeah. 40? Looking at my 40th birthday. So it was very late start. 40th birthday, and it's almost 
like, isn't 40, aren't you a little too old to be changing <laughs> well, careers? Shouldn't you be staying in the safe and secure? The safe zone? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, it was certainly, from all the advice that I got, it was you may be um, past, you know, your employment uh, opportunities by the time you finish your training if you're starting so late. But I still wanted to give it a go. Um, I knew there was a pilot shortage um, globally, and I knew that if... Uh, yeah, I could back myself to get it done and get all the training done within a couple of years. Um, then uh, you know I'd, I'd find something, whether or not it'd be the ideal goal. Um, a friend of mine who was a captain at uh, Cathay Pacific Airways in Hong Kong, Giles Rooney, uh, gave me some good advice, and he mentored me through the process in terms of you know what you need to do, the study side of things, the practical side of things, and then of course marketing yourself out there. What, and what was the advice he gave you? <clears throat> He said, look, it's, it is a long, hard road. It is a long, <laughs> hard road, yeah. He said, you, you need to, once you start, do not look sideways. Do not quit. It's better off not to start at all than to quit along the way. So first of all, you need to have the money ready to go. You need to back yourself to get it done. And once you press the button, you get your head down, bum up, and you, you knuckle down to the task ahead. Well, so it's, it's, <clears throat> it's almost like... You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're not, right. you're not a little pregnant. No, that's right, yeah. And uh, it is the type of thing, that, um, you know, especially taking on um, a, a, new, a new career so late, like becoming a pilot, that does require a lot of application. There's a lot of study that needs to be done. Um, it involves a lot of money as well. How um, much money, Jay? cost me about, in the end, $130,000 to get everything done. Wow. Um, just on that, I did have a... Uh, a major setback right at the beginning. Just um, one? No, <laughs> this was a major yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of minor ones. It's, uh, yeah, involving the money. Mm-hmm. I, I had uh, put the money aside in a, in a term deposit, and this was around the time of the GFC, around 2008, 2009. And uh, once I'd chosen the uh, aviation uh, college I was going to go to and where I was going to do the flying and had the plan all laid out, um, it was three months before maturation I could access that money and or at a friend's place for dinner and we saw on the news that a whole bunch of companies had fallen over including the one that my money was with and all the uh, 7,000 Australians had lost all their money which was apparently secured but of course it's been a familiar story only the bank's money was secured and we all missed out so Is, I we- lost a lot. Is there any security in life? Is there, <laughs> seriously, is there really any security in life? Well, that All was the, a lesson that there was not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of us cling to this notion that, in an illusion that we have security. But if you think about it, what do we have any security over? Yeah, well, just our, just our daily choices, really, isn't it? it so is. that was a major blow, and it took me a few days to deal with the anger of that. Um, fortunately, I had not yet quit my job. The initial plan was to quit the job in the music business, knuckle down to the study as a full-time job and hopefully get everything done in about two, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So now I had to uh, regroup, refocus, let the anger go and make a decision. Are you going to let this, you know, railroad you or are you just going to put this as another challenge, another roadblock and uh, get it done regardless, find another way. So I kept the goal and I changed the plan. How many times though did you did you waver back and forth with, fuck, I don't want to do this, and yeah, okay, I'm going to, the challenge <laughs> yeah. is, it's happening for me. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of, there were a lot of potholes along the way, but yeah. once I made the decision on this one that I was going to get it done, it was just a matter of how. So what I did initially was, uh, fortunately, I, I 
kept um, employment with the marketing manager job and I uh, also increased the number of gigs I was doing with the um, acoustic duo on the side. Playing a piano, Mr. Piano Man? <laughs> <laughs> well, this was a guitar duo, so yeah. But we still did, did get asked for that yeah. request every hey, play, night. Play us a piano, man! <laughs> Sing me um, the song. So whilst we sort of got a little bit more money behind me, I started on the long, hard road of the theory of um, involved with the flying um, uh, and learning to fly process. So there's basically three stages. One is to get a private pilot's license. The second is to get a commercial pilot's license. And then ultimately to become an airline pilot, you need an ATPL, an air transport pilot's license. Um, to achieve all of that, um, it's done in stages and the uh, theory component must come first and you must have achieved, for instance, all the exams up to pilot, um, private pilot's license before you can complete that practical side of flying and then sit the flight test to achieve that license. So um, because I didn't have the money ready to go now, I just focused on the theory side of things. And so I was working full time as a marketing manager, doing two or three gigs a week in the duo. And every other spare moment when I wasn't working or sleeping, I was studying. And th- and that's I think that's so important. It's I think a lot of us we have these 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 childhood dreams we want to chase, and we know what, we know what the end is. I think we have a little idea of how how it's going to look, but we get so wrapped in, up in connecting the dots to finish the whole process that we don't start and take any action. And and I think that was really good about you know how you broke it down, and it was just like okay, this is my win. What's important now? Finish this. I'll worry about the next stage as it comes. Exactly. Yeah. So I b- broke down into uh, obviously the long term goal of achieving the the, the qualifications re- required to market myself out there to f- find a job as a commercial pilot, but that major goal had to be broken down into stages, and those stages need to be um, approached and uh, managed by daily goals. So it would be chapter by chapter in the books. It would be uh, out at the, air, at the aerodrome before sunrise, you know, doing your pre-flight checks and going out and having two hours of flying circuits before then going off to work at the office um, and just getting every daily goal achieved along the way. And I'm going to get knocked sideways. I mean, I was failing exams, you know. What, was that? what was that like, Jay? It was, you, you know, it's, a, it's actually a real test of um, your fortitude. I mean, I've found out that... Um, Failure. You, you, in order to know how to win, you really need to know how to fail along the way, mm-hmm. and it presents a real uh, test of character. Um, it, it is. It is. It's. It's an amazing test. Testament to to the fortitude that you have, and I, th- I think it's really important that I know a lot of us we get so wrapped up in off. You know, shit. I'm failing. I'm failing. I'm failing. But it's really important that we be able to ask ourselves, okay, how can I turn this failure into an immediate success and you know it's it's not so much this outcome goal of success or failure it's this process goal of you know I'm putting in a massive wager on myself that I'm going to be able to get through this no matter what exactly um and when you when I found when I did fail it was obviously it was a frustration on that day but you get up the next day and you're back into the same books and the same chapters to redo that subject and whatnot but it's really not whether adversity finds us it's all about how you respond to it Mm -hmm. so if you just you know get back on the horse the next day stay focused on the goal sure you've been knocked sideways or backwards a few cubes but yeah as long as you keep moving step by step towards that goal eventually you will get there there was one subject I really struggled with. Which one was that? Air law. I mean, oh, I'm really? not a lawyer. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? yeah. And the wording that they used in this thing was just confounding me, you know. Mm-hmm. And, 
Um, Wait a sec. Confounding's a little bit of a <laughs> word. It sounds like a law <laughs> word to me. Term? That is a legal term, <laughs> Arnie Becker. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I took. It took me four attempts and seven months to pass that one exam. And one of my instructors at the school passed that navigation and human factors in a week. And I was just comparing myself to this and just thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm too dumb, and then I'm too old, and this is costing me too much money. Um, And really, that whole process of failure and continuing on and staying focused on the goal showed me I'm capable, and getting there in the end, showed me I'm far more capable than I gave myself credit for at the beginning of this whole journey. The, the amazing thing about these, these speed bumps or brick walls, as we also like to call them, is, is the brick walls aren't there to keep us out of our childhood dreams. You know, and I'm, I'm borrowing a very important lesson from, from Randy Posh, the, the last lecture. You know, and he said the brick walls aren't there to keep us out. And most people are going to run into the brick wall and their immediate reaction is I throw my hands up in the air, run away. Why the fuck is this happening to me? But he wanted us to learn this really important lesson about the brick walls. The brick walls are there to ask us, how bad do we want it? Yeah, exactly. How bad do you want it, yeah. man? And this is a type of thing that really um, weeds the people out who haven't got the determination to get through those brick walls or the potholes or aren't willing to go the whole way or are going to get distracted along the way. Unfortunately for guys like me, a lot of people did fail, which for the people who get to the end leaves more options available. Well, I think that brings us to to a very important question then right now, Jay, is listen, we are going to run into adversity. Our house of cards is going to get smacked down and it's not going to be once. It's not going to be twice. It's going to keep happening and again and again. And I think it's really important before we take any steps further is to really ask ourselves a fundamental question is what do you stand for? So Jay, what, what do you stand for? Look, I, I know now through this and something that was uh, in no doubt of, the, of my friends who had full uh, confidence in me before this, mm-hmm. much more than I did, as I said, that I'm capable of anything that I put my mind to. So I stand for whatever I say I'm going to do. You Beautiful. Know, mean what you say and, and, and do what you say you're going to do. Be impeccable with your word. Yeah, exactly. Be impeccable with yeah. your word and... and and, and I think that's that's an amazing quality, and, and that's fantastic. Okay, let's get back to this pilot story. Right, okay. Ground so, control to me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got to the private pilot's license. Okay, now I can rent planes and take my friends flying, and that's a real... Um, you know, uh, privilege because now you can sort of share that with other people. And a lot of people just want to get to that stage so that they can have recreational flying Mm -hmm. legally and and take passengers. At that stage, I applied to Cathay Pacific Airways to become a cadet pilot. And this is where they take people with uh, low hours and not much experience through uh, an entire course of training um, and prepare them to be a second officer on large jets based in uh, Hong Kong for Cathay Pacific. Um, there was another fellow who uh, started on exactly the same day at the same flying school as I. So at the time of application, we both applied. We had exactly the same flying credentials. And uh, he ended up getting all the way through the interviews and was offered a position and a training course at Flight Training Australia in Adelaide um, where they do the training. And I didn't even get a first interview. Why is that? And the only difference was he was 12 years younger. So I thought, oh, I might just be too old for this. You are too old. That's it. There it is again. I might have missed the boat. So um, that, again, was a big blow because I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, you can't beat time. But so so what I did do, I just doubled down my efforts and thought I'm going to complete all this training as, as quickly as possible. 
And the other thing that I was advised to do, and I did, was to um, send an email at the first of every month to recruitment at Cathay Pacific to keep them advised of my progress. So the 1st of June, I said, I've now passed this exam, and I've now got this many hours, and now my next goal is this. 1st of July, I've achieved that goal, I've got this many hours, I'm now doing this. Right, right, until I did that in total for 21 more months. I, d- I don't think a lot of people would have done that. No. I think, I think a lot of people might have sent the first one or not even have bothered because it's, it's being committed to the long game. That's right, yeah. So long story short, um, chapter by chapter, exam by exam, failure and success, you know, in equal measures. Um, and there were lots of times when I was absolutely beaten down by the failures. I mean, there were actual tears at one point mm. with very close friends of mine who were offering tremendous moral support and were right behind me right from the start. Um, <clears throat> and that was, I found that um, really buoyant to, to keep me going. In the end, I ended up with a commercial pilot's license, uh, a multi-engine command instrument rating, and all my uh, ATPL exams successfully completed. And that took me about four years and two months and $130,000. And so you're 44 now. 43. 40, sorry, I don't want to don't make you older, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> older than you before are. Before my time. Yeah, before your time. That's so right. you're 43 now embarking on the second career. That's right. So uh, I had kept applying every time, every mm-hmm. month, as I said. I did manage to get a part-time job dropping some parachutes on the weekend. That was my first flying job in a little Cessna 182. Um, for a skydive of the beach in Wollongong, south of Sydney. Cool. That was great fun. Yeah. Know, 20 takeoff and landings a day and lots of practical stuff. So that gave you a lot of practice. Did. And I think, I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of us were so con- concerned with the tip of the iceberg and we're not looking at that wide base that's at the bottom. And those, those 20 takeoffs and landings were allowing you to sharpen your axe, that's harness right. your skills, practice, 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 practice. Yeah. You know, people always ask me, they're like, Darren, why do you tell so many stupid jokes? You know, why do you tell so many stupid jokes? Well, number one, I like laughing with people. You know, I like to share a smile with people. But number two, every time I tell a joke, I'm telling a story. I'm practicing communicating with people. And if we want to become better communicators, we've got to practice communicating. We've got to practice telling jokes. I've learned through my journey that a lot of our strength is exposing that raw vulnerability. And when you're telling a joke, you have no idea how somebody's going to respond. And my whole thing is, let's roll the dice and see what happens. <laughs> no, I've witnessed that yeah. happening. I'm jammer not... jelly, jammer <laughs> jelly. <laughs> okay, back to the pilot story. Right, so now I've, I've completed all the qualifications. I've got a job. Now I'm working three jobs. Three right? jobs. Uh, Two wasn't enough. We're no, going to go for three. That's right. Well, how do you want to make your dreams happen? <laughs> Wait, knuckle down and, yeah, and knuckle down and do it. Right. So... Uh, <clears throat> I had been applying all the time uh, along this way, and obviously the long-term goal was to be with Cathay. And eventually I get an email inviting me to a first-round interview in my home city of Sydney. Yeah, so um, I knuckled down for about six weeks to uh, prepare for that interview, and um, there was four of us there on the day, and everyone else took about an hour and a half, and mine took about 20 minutes, so I thought, I've either messed this up real bad... (laughs) Or I've nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> Fortunately, it turned out it was a successful yeah. outcome and I was invited to Hong Kong for uh, stages two and three about a month later. And that was um, heavy scrutiny. Um, they get you down from about 500 applicants initially down to about 50 through uh, two days of uh, testing. 
And from there, you hold your breath and if you're invited to uh, stage four, which fortunately I was, um, and that's additional testing as well. And the, the last stage was uh, actual flight grading, they called it, where they took um, a small bunch, I think it was about 24 of us down to Adelaide, and it's actual flying of planes and, again, with their instructors down there, you know, um, scrutinising your every move. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the end, from I think it was over 15,000 initial applicants, uh, right down to the uh, the bottom line, they chose seven guys to um, be invited to start the training to become a second officer in AE13 cadet pilot course. So, f- sorry, what was that first number? Fifteen thousand? Something like that. Fifteen thousand down to seven, and the difference between being one of those seven or the f- fourteen thousand nine hundred ninety-three looking in is. Bring in those emails. <laughs> I love that. I love that part of the emails. Good old-fashioned persistence. Persistence. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've been accused of not being only persistent, but I think it's stalking. You're <laughs> gonna get a legal restraint against That's you. That's a little too persistent. Yeah. So bring bring us bring us into you're you're, you're in Hong Kong. Yeah. With- so um, got, so the course the training was done down in Adelaide, and um, all that I've just described was um, doing the study and the qualifications on the. Uh, in under the Australian syllabus, mm-hmm. what now needs to happen is you need to do it all again to be qualified under the Hong Kong syllabus. And you do that as a full-time job, live in six days a week, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day. So it takes about seven months when you're doing it so, wow. con- so condensed. Once you pass all of that, you graduate uh, from FTA and you head up to Hong Kong and then you're allocated either to the Boeing or the Airbus fleet. I went on to the Airbus and then you commence your um, training. Um, initially in classes and then in simulators and then in the aircraft itself with revenue passengers. Mm-hmm. And eventually you qualified what's called a check to line as a second officer. Um, that happened for me in October of 2012. I did three years as a second officer and um, successfully um, was selected for my upgrade to junior first officer, which takes about a year. And then uh, the big check, which is for three bars now, to first officer, and that was about three years ago now. So it looks like now maybe about four or five more years before I get a crack at captain. Bravo, about five years, you know. And and this is a really good story I want to finish with is the Chinese bamboo tree. Do you know what the Chinese bamboo tree? So the Chinese bamboo tree, you know, they'll they'll plant the seed and then in the first year they're going to water and fertilize it nothing's going to happen. Come back second year, water, fertilize it. Still nothing's happening. Third year, water, fertilize it. Nothing happens. Fourth year. I mean, I think by after three years, most people would say, you (laughs) know what? I think, yeah, nothing's happening here. I mean, I'm going to give up. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Year four, fertilizer, water, nothing happens. Fifth year, what happens, brother? It sprouts and you get what you wanted all exactly, along. Exactly, exactly. It. So it's just, you know, I just I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and just giving all of us, you know, a little hope and inspiration that, you know what, childhood dreams do come true. But what they take is an enormous amount of persistence, grit, and failure. They take failure. Yeah to achieve our childhood dreams. Yeah, it can be a good thing. Look, it is a long, hard road, but nothing worthwhile comes easy. And you need to back yourself, stay focused. And what you direct your thoughts and behavior towards over time really does manifest into reality. It does indeed. Thank you so much, brother. Welcome, bro. Mm-hmm.